This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture Card. Earn unlimited 2x miles on every purchase. Plus, earn unlimited 5x miles on hotels and rental cars booked through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. It's New Music Friday, and this is going to be a conversation in which we will attempt to answer the question, what do we talk about when we are not talking about Taylor Swift? I'm Jacob Gans. I'm an editor at NPR Music. 2023 is over. It's January. It's 2024. The year looms before us with so much potential. But first, got to get 2023 out of our systems. For a lot of last year, it seemed like two giants just dominated the conversation. Beyonce and Taylor Swift, their huge tours, the Eras Tour, the Renaissance Tour, and the movies that followed. We're going to talk about what might take their place in 2024, what we hope will take their place, stories that we think we won't be able to escape, stories that we will want to talk about all year long. I am joined today by three great team members from NPR Music, critic Ann Powers. Hey, Jacob. Hip-hop writer and correspondent Rodney Carmichael. What's going on? And WRTI's Nate Chenan, who covers jazz and classical. Hey, Happy New Year. It's a new year. If you're a longtime New Music Friday listener, you'll sense that this is a little bit of a new show. Those voices that you heard are probably familiar to you, but there are going to be some other things that sound different. This show is still going to let you know what new albums are out each Friday, but we're also going to dig into conversations that we really want to have that help us understand what's going on in the world of music on a level that's not just about the new releases out each Friday. You'll get some news, maybe some interviews, conversations between music-obsessed colleagues like the ones that are gathered here today. Here's what happened at the end of 2023 for those who are keeping score. Bob Boylan, the host of All Songs Considered, the creator of Tiny Desk Concerts, retired. He was our teammate for a long time. Robin Hilton, who was his colleague on All Songs for a long time and was the host of New Music Friday, has taken over Bob's show on Tuesdays. So if you want to hear Robin talking to other members of the NPR Music team about new music, you can find that on the Tuesday episode in this feed. At the end of 2023, we published lists and podcasts about the best songs and albums of 2023. There are great lists on our site where you can read more about all of those selections. And with that out of the way, I want to ask the group assembled here today, do you have any music critic rituals that you perform when you're done with the year-end lists? When you got to the end of 2023 and your lists were locked, published, shared with the public, what do you do? Anne, do you want to go first? Well, you know, first of all, it's hard to stop. <laughs> I bet everybody agrees with me, right? Like I continued to find great releases from 2023 after our lists were published. So that can get a little frustrating. Anybody with me on that? The first step is admitting that you have a problem. <laughs> yeah, for real. I mean, I I actually, I, I dive in like a consumer. You know what I'm saying? I start devouring other critics' lists that I like, stuff people post on Twitter, and I end up finding a lot of stuff that either I hadn't heard or came out and I forgot to check out mm. to the point that I actually want to edit and revise my 2023 best albums list. I got a whole new best artist, best album uh, pick after the holidays. 
What was it? Jacob, is that okay? Can yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Please. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's this, it's this cat named Wakai. He's a rapper out of Baton Rouge. And his album, Some People Scream, Some People Talk, is, man, it's so good. Some people scream, some don't give a fuck. And with that anger, you endanger, it tangle you it seems to be informed by a lot of trauma that he's experienced in his life and all this other stuff and and the songs in themselves are kind of like his own his own talk therapy sessions to himself the beats are incredible it's very like lo-fi chill but he's like rapping his ass off quality pick check it out nate what about you if i'm being perfectly honest um once i finish the the year-end compilation and looking over my list and checking it twice, my household just throws into holiday mode. It's like full-on Santaville. Honestly, like, the, the end of the year for me is, is inevitably filled with Mariah and some Sia and, you know, some Ella. Just lots of holiday tunes. I also, of course, sneak in a little bit of John Fahey and some Kenny Burrell and, you know, Diane Reeves. <laughs> Hanukkah music isn't really a thing, but my wife did find and buy me a guitar solely Hanukkah album uh, modeled <laughs> on the John Fahey record uh, that, uh, that that got some play in, in my house. Nice. I guess my holiday music was uh, Sexy Red because my daughter was home from college and we spent all of our time <laughs> driving around listening to Sexy Red. So. I, I'm declaring Sexy Red a, a holiday artist now. Do y'all have like video of that? I kind of want to just see the visual of <laughs> y'all riding around <laughs> Sexy Red. One of the reasons that we talked about Taylor and Beyonce so much in 2023 is just the commerce aspect of that story was overwhelming. They were so successful. Those tours made hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, approaching billions of dollars. Creating our own world. This is my reward. Is there anybody in the world looking forward at 2024 who could occupy that much commercial space, that much artistic space at the same time? That's the question that I have that I want to kick off our predictions for 2024 with. Um, Rodney, do you want to kick us off here? Is there anybody in the space? in 2024, who has the potential to be Beyonce-sized or Taylor-sized? One name, Rihanna. That's right. You said it. I'm just saying. The perpetual answer. <laughs> yeah. The if only she answer. drops after so many years of anticipation, speculation, a couple of additions to her household as well, um, it would be huge. I mean, she did the Super Bowl last year. And, you know, apparently she was hoping to have an album drop last year on the heels of the Super Bowl. But, you know, she ended up dropping a second baby instead. And I feel like being a parent myself, um, that could either mean that we might never see <laughs> another Rihanna album or she might be very much inspired by by motherhood and 
Yeah, you know, she she might tote the babies to the studio and 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 get it in for 2024, but we'll see because yeah, if Rihanna drops, it's going to be a big deal. I'm fascinated by the idea of Rihanna as the the successor to our Beyonce and Taylor uh oligopoly because, you know, the the thing that Tay and Bay have in common is like they're not afraid to show us how industrious they are and and how mm. much effort it takes to do their thing whereas rihanna it's like the the thing that struck me most about that super bowl performance is the idea that she almost was like i can't be bothered with this <laughs> rihanna is the embodiment of fuck it you know yeah, and that's what right. i that's what i love about her though that's what's always been great no about doubt. her and it's, it hasn't yeah. been true for her whole career actually I mean, but she went through so much um, years ago around the incident uh, she suffered at the hands of Chris Brown. And I think after, after she survived and thrived through that, she was like, I can go through anything and I'm not going to give you anything I don't want to give you. I love that spirit right now because honestly, I'm a little bit sick of these hard workers that are just feeding into the capitalist machine, feeding into the Barbie machine. That said... I do think that there is one hard worker who could have an amazing 2024, and that is Dua Lipa. You know, Dua Lipa is the kind of antithesis of Rihanna <laughs> in, in that she, there is, as far as I can tell, I mean, she seems like a very smart woman. She even has a podcast about books, you know, but but she also is like sort of purely hard work. Um, there's something very... Um, just very industrious and like I can't feel any rebelliousness in her which it doesn't appeal to me that much but she's undeniably huge commercially and makes pristine pop music and if she drops a new album it could be huge she has pristine like student council president vibes totally 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 she's definitely an a student absolutely and but she does have a frictionless quality about her as well and the new record is you know, supposedly being made with Kevin Parker from Tame Impala, which will not add more friction to the equation. So, no, but it but it might make it like a different kind of retro, right? Like, like if it could, it could. I mean, the you know the the single is it it has a little bit of that uber decadent disco. It's like looking at decadence through a glass mirror, you know, a glass a wall of glass or something. You know, when you talk about the frictionlessness, um, that is true about so much related to her, but not her voice. You know, there's there's like kind of a rich texture to her voice and and there's a presence there. Um, and so even though there's like, you know, maybe a, a bit of a blankness to her persona, like there's something really magnetic about it, too. Um, and and I, I'm always intrigued by how she's able to you know, do what we recognize as a series of very, like, carefully considered pivots and, you know, um, sort of machinations. Um, and then she makes them feel, like, completely natural. It's very true. And, and you know, Rodney, I know you've been thinking about another 
hard worker and another yeah. artist who at the beginning of his career was actually considered a little bit too frictionless and too professional and that's Usher. No doubt. Yeah, I mean Usher, Usher's having a big year this year. Yeah, Usher's been having a couple of big years. I mean, I think coming off the tiny desk, which was what, two years ago now? He's just been on a run. I mean the We did that thing. We did that thing. <laughs> yeah, basically we brought Usher back. <laughs> uh, I mean, the Vegas residency last year was was crazy. It, it, it he found a way even to capitalize on controversy when you know the thing happened with Kiki Palmer coming to his show and and her boyfriend slash baby daddy being in an uproar about it. You know, next thing you know, they were dropping. Uh, he dropped a song with her in the video, and I don't know everything about that that residency. He he found out how to turn to gold, and and really it just showed how great of a performer he is. Which there's something about him being kind of cut in this 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 cloth of an old school R and B singer, you know. Mm -hmm. Even though he's not old school, but the kind of R and B he does is not really in tune with where R&B as a genre is right now, but somehow he is transcending his era of R&B. And I think he's really, I don't know, he's set to, he's set to do something major. Apparently he's playing Super Bowl this year and apparently he plans to drop his new album on the same day, which, oh, wow. you know, yeah, that level of synergy, if, if, if he and his team can pull that off, that, that'll be amazing. Um, and, and then go on tour. I have a weird comparison. I wonder what y'all think about this. I think Usher is, is like the Cheryl Crow <laughs> of R&B <laughs> because I feel like he, you know how Cheryl came into her own again as a, like as an elder, as a, as a mother figure to all these young artists and, you know, boy genius mm. and, um, you know, boy genius had that huge song, not strong enough in 2023, which is basically a tribute to Cheryl's song. Are you strong enough to be my man? I feel like mm. Usher's going to get that embrace from younger <laughs> artists, like publicly. Maybe he already is Rodney. You can tell me if that's happening, yeah. but I feel like he's a perfect, even though he's not that old, he's sort of a, a perfect elder figure for this huge moment in R&B that we're having now. Yeah, Summer Walker's on the on the on the song "Good Good," right? Oh, right, right. Exactly. Yeah. So him him and Summer Walker had that kind of relationship um, for sure. That's the first person I thought about. I feel like a lot of a lot of the younger cats Usher embraces, and you know, a lot of times when an artist in his position does that, it's like. Let me collaborate with this young hot artist so I can, you know, reap the benefits of their young hotness. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But it seems like when you see them interacting, you know, uh, <laughs> yep. even when you see a lot of the interactions he had with folks who were coming to check him out at the residency, there does seem to be this familial kind of big brother in music. You know, we talk a lot uh vibe that that is getting expressed so yeah i think i feel you on the, i feel you on the cheryl crow comparison actually i sure cheryl crow collaboration come on let's have it <laughs> one thing that he certainly learned from beyonce that seems like it was put to good use in the uh in in that vegas residency was being able to narrativize his catalog 
I mean, the one thing Beyonce and Taylor Swift are still putting out music that people are listening to um, and and appreciating and and um, is going to the top of the charts. And it's been a minute since Usher's been able to do that. But every night on those tours, people were talking about something new that was happening, even though the music was so familiar. He has the kind of catalog that can certainly do that, and he's the kind of performer who can who can pull that off. There aren't that many people who have both of those things at the same time who have the catalog and also want to reinvent it on a night-to-night basis and get people talking about it, and he's certainly in, in that category, and Super Bowl is quite a way to kick that off. One of the main stories of last year was the way that, that regional Mexican music exploded into the pop charts. It wasn't a crossover exactly. It was a huge moment of arrival for music that had been growing with uh, with audiences around the United States and around Latin America for years. Are there any genres that in 2024 are going to make that same landing, are going to explode into our consciousness the same way, dominate our conversations? Before we talk about that, um, let's talk a little bit about country music and the effect of Mexican regional music, as I see it, on country music. Um, The other day I was driving down Broadway here in Nashville, and I saw this huge electronic billboard for um, a pretty small artist, but obviously someone someone's investing in her. Her name's Alicia Dominguez, and she has a new single, En La Calle. And it's a Spanish-language single. And that made me want to talk about how I think this is the year that Nashville-centered music, country and Americana, is going to really reckon with the need to acknowledge its connections, not only to Latin music, especially Mexican regional music, but to this massive audience that loves a kind of music that's <laughs> that's so similar to country, you know? I mean, there are undeniable connections between Mexican regional music and the country tradition. And uh, I'm starting to see artists um, who have maybe been around for a minute, like there's a singer named Angie Kay. Um, she's been around for a while, but she had a single last year, I think it was called Laredo. That's, you know, Streets of Laredo, one of the great cowboy songs, right? She's retelling that story uh, through the eyes of a young cowboy who meets a Mexican woman and they get together and have a family and it's like this very cheesy sort of typical, I mean I like the song a lot, so when I say cheesy that's a compliment, but it's a very traditional country song, but she sings partly in Spanish and she's, you know, telling this tale of of um, basically a blended family. And for me, that's that's pretty revolutionary. So, you know, there's her, there's another, there's a, a guy named Louis the Singer. In Americana, there's a real exciting young performer named Wyatt Flores, who's kind of in a Zach Bryan mold, who I think is going to break big. And these are all proud Mexican-American artists. Um staking a claim to country. And I really, really hope country makes room for them. Um, and this is a, this is a piece. I, I want to read you. I want to read you on this movement. <laughs> well, maybe we want to read, uh, read someone uh, like Amanda Marie Martinez on this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> There's some great writers uh, who have been tackling this subject, but yeah, no, it definitely, um, I think we can look to our alt Latino team too. They did a great uh, series on Peso Pluma 
last year. So uh, come on back to Nashville, Anna and Felix, and, and I'll introduce you to Angie Kay. But, well, I mean, I think we should talk about Afrobeats because I think African music in general is, you know, going to continue to have a huge global impact on pop. Well, yeah, and I definitely want to co-sign your, your Afrobeats prediction because, I mean, at this point, it really, it feels like the industry is, is invested now in, in the success of Afrobeats stateside. The sound itself had a breakout year. I mean, everybody and their mama talking about I'm a, I'm a piano and, and, you know, these, these sounds from South Africa to Ghana and Nigeria, um, you know, not to mention specific artists. A lot of the, a lot of the, uh, the anxiety I say around hip hop's lack of chart dominance last year, uh, kind of, kind of manifested in in a lot of conversation and and one of the tweets that kind of uh, kind of illustrated that was came from from Ebro Darden, who is the uh, program director at Hot ninety seven. He he's at Apple Music as well, and he had this tweet where he allegedly was quoting an industry, uh, a label person that he had been talking to, saying that they were switching from heavy investment in hip-hop to to Afrobeats artists. And I think, you know, true or not, because, you know, it's a tweet, it's a a radio cat, it's it's whatever, right? You, You take it with a grain of salt, but... In a lot of ways, I think it started to generate this this conversation around almost like this pick me type of conversation, like, you know, between different genres of black music in terms of what the industry is feeling at a particular moment, what the industry is investing in, what sound uh, what sound is 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 seems to be more consumable or more uh, commercial at, at, a, at a given moment in time and whether or not hip hop having a lull meant that another form of black music could, could capitalize on that. Um, in a lot of ways that that whole conversation, it felt really kind of icky to me um, because I don't know, it felt like kind of colonialist and <laughs> in terms of which in a lot of ways is kind of how the industry does tend to operate, uh, especially around black music and, and, and um, the ways that it kind of extracts uh, black, you know, black talent from, from communities and cultures and, 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 and capitalize on it. Um, but also often without a lot of A&R that goes on traditionally in other genres. But point being, I do think that the Afro beats for, for those kind of reasons, but also because, I mean, the shit is just jamming. <laughs> so It's already really deep inside hip hop anyway, though. I mean, true. the number of people who at the end of last year were shouting about the British rap EP by Dave and Central C, which yeah. is full of Afrobeat sounds. Mm-hmm. Take a look at these diamonds, wrong as a life for squinting, can't just stare. With bay through thick and thin, she already fixed, so I'm halfway there. Brown and bad. It's just, it's, hip hop is flexible enough that it's definitely going to be there, mm-hmm. whether it's part of the conversation or in competition with. Exactly. Well, and Janelle Monet's record was like completely, it's like a tribute to Afrobeat's music. Yeah. I mean, I, I get the, I get why you say it feels a little colonialist, but on the other hand, you know, thank whoever you thank for the fact that, that Afrobeat's exists 
to replace the antiquated discussion of like world beat or world music, which was like, <laughs> you know, mostly white promoters bringing African artists to the mm. States or introducing. Mm. And I mean, there's look, I'm happy. For example, I'm, I'm, overjoyed that Peter Gabriel introduced the word to Yusu Endure. But now we don't yeah. need Peter Gabriel to play the middleman role anymore. True, true. Nate, do you want to jump in here with a prediction? Um, I I have to ask the two of you, or the three of you, um, have you all seen Maestro? Have you seen have, this movie? I've been waiting. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> the, the Netflix effect is is uh, is that it goes on my permanent to watch list, but yeah. never gets watched. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm waiting to. If you're listening and you and you are not familiar, Maestro is a film by Bradley Cooper. Um, it is a biopic of sorts um, of the the great conductor and composer Leonard Bernstein, um, and it's really focused on um, his personal life and you know his his relationship uh, with his wife, who is played by Carrie Mulligan, um, in a really spectacular performance. I mean, it's it's a real like award season kind of prestige picture, but it also has like an incredible amount of energy. Um, it's really kind of sexy, um, and you know, it reminds me that there was another film that had this sort of juice uh, about a fictional composer named Lydia Tarr, who in the film was framed as a protege of Leonard Bernstein. But there's an interesting sort of a current of high voltage running through these uh, portrayals um, that do acknowledge kind of the old institutional power dynamics and, and some of the abuses um, that, that were sanctioned under that old model. Um, and so I'm really fascinated by where this is headed. And the fact that people who don't go to symphonic concerts on the regular are actually like really fascinated uh, by these stories and, you know, sending Mahler symphonies back onto the streaming charts, you know? So I don't know. This is a crazy thing to say, but I kind of feel like classical music is in a place where it, where it's, it's maybe about to pop, you know? Well, opera's already popping. I know, absolutely. With, you know, Rihanna Giddens and Michael Abels winning the Pulitzer for, for their opera Omar, with um, the Malcolm X opera, with uh, all the Davises <laughs> involved, with right. Terrence Blanchard's opera. I mean, opera is on fire. Well, and and some of that is about like who gets to who who has been welcomed into these spaces, right? Right, um, right. Or or maybe not. Maybe that's not the way to put it because it's too passive. Who has who has forged a new way into those spaces? Um, and some of that is is happening, you know, not only in opera, but you know, as we're talking, Yannick Neze Sagan, who was the the um, the conductor who trained Bradley Cooper. Um, he is a he is a very stylish, very sort of sensual figure, and and kind of a um, he has a, a real command of um, like how to connect with audiences and how to make classical music feel like contemporary and cool. He's the person who conducted Terence Blanchard's operas. Um, well, his new uh, principal guest conductor at the Philadelphia Orchestra is Marin Alsop, who was an actual. Leonard Bernstein protege and was the first woman to lead a major symphony orchestra in the world. Um, 
she is 67, but she is like very much um, at the center of this conversation when it comes to more inclusivity. Um, you know, she is she is queer for what it's worth, um, and she has been a, a, an advocate um, and a real spokesperson for, you know, f- for broadening the 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 sort of welcome in these classical spaces. Um, and so, when I think about what orchestras, especially those who have a sort of more progressive bent, uh, what they're about. You know, it's like, yes, Mahler, yes, Mozart, yes, Beethoven, but also Missy Mazzoli and Thomas Addis and, you know, Taishan Sori even, you know? Right. Um, so, so there's like, there's just a lot of cool stuff happening there. Um, and, you know, it, it, is, it is a gradual process, but I think audiences are beginning to take note. And you've got the the guy who started this whole wave, arguably, Gustavo Dudamel, is uh, making a big move pretty soon from the L.A. Philharmonic to the New York Philharmonic. I don't think he's he's not going to be there till 2026, but he's starting to do stuff in New York this yeah, coming. Yeah, the, the impact is already being felt for sure. And I have to tell you, I was working in L.A. at the times when Dudamel came to Los Angeles and it was fire. It was like the whole mood of the city changed around his arrival. So I, I definitely think with the right personality, it's interesting that it's so personality driven, you know, I mean, here's this here's this um, field that we think of as being, you know, based around great works and great works written by mostly dead white men. And yet it's these individuals um, who are who are driving excitement. I guess well, that's not know, that shocking. Th- th- these orchestras are such um, they're such well-oiled machines. And that's one thing I think tar captures so well is like mm-hmm. all of the all of the stuff that happens behind the scenes. Um, you know, I will say uh, I-, I hope you all do have a chance to see Maestro. Uh, I was interested by the fact that it it did not uh, do well at the Golden Globes, but I, I, I'm sort of hopeful that come Oscars time, Bradley Cooper uh, sees some kind of a win because his beloved Philadelphia Eagles uh, have had a late season collapse, and so so my, my guy needs a win, uh, and this might be it. Uh, good luck to him. I'm, I'm almost more surprised that you, you, you know Bradley Cooper's favorite NFL team. <laughs> he is not shy about sharing that information. <laughs> I don't know. It's a, He's going to have a, t- a tough time against the nuclear assault of Oppenheimer, but we'll see. Okay, before we get to more predictions about 2024, including artists that might break through into the mainstream, we've got to take a little break. We'll be right back. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture X Card. When you book through Capital One Travel using the Venture X Card, you earn 10x miles on hotels and rental cars and 5x miles on flights, and you earn unlimited 2x miles on all other purchases. Plus, receive a $300 annual credit for bookings through Capital One Travel. The Venture X Card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. 
Support for NPR and the following message come from Carvana, on a mission to make car buying more convenient and affordable than ever before. In minutes, you can browse thousands of options under $20,000. Visit Carvana.com or download the app today to get started. This message comes from NPR sponsor Grammarly. Change the way you write with Grammarly Go, offering personalized generative AI communication assistance. Grammarly Go helps you ideate, compose, rewrite, and reply thoughtfully. Go to Grammarly.com slash go. Okay, close your eyes for a second. Now imagine you're on your dream vacation. No work calls to answer, no text messages to respond to, just your suitcase and an opportunity. The opportunity to just take yourself out of your routine and travel deeper. How to actually take that dream trip. That's on the Life Kit Podcast from NPR. The huge artists in classical music who command all of that attention, who draw everybody's eyeballs, they exist sort of at a level of visibility that not very many artists get to. That same thing happens across other genres. That's my next question for the three of you. Which underground artists are going to break through this year? I think about Boy Genius in 2023, three artists who were well-established, people knew them, people liked them, but that record that came out last year, the record, their first full length and the tour that followed really pushed them into a space where they became more well-known. They became household names. They became Grammy nominees for things like album of the year. Who is going to land at that level this year? And can you kick us off? Well, since we were just talking about Maestro and, uh, and the movies in general, um, I want to talk about what I'm dubbing the salt burn effect. <laughs> There's a London band called The Last Dinner Party that's been really rising uh, this past year. It's five women. It is a rock band. And they have uh, really taken Europe by storm, winning awards, having huge, they have a huge single called Nothing Matters. They're about to release their first album called Prelude to Ecstasy. And this band has an aesthetic that reminds me so much of the movie Saltburn in that it is the women, they dress in these sort of like gothic clothes, slightly gothic. Um, their sound uh, harkens back to early 2000s. Saltburn is, of course, a sort of gothic slash satire hybrid movie um, set in the early 2000s. And, and the spirit of The Last Dinner Party is very over the top, very just, you know, they make me think about the killers. Um, really, I feel like they're... I feel like they're, they have the potential to just, like, rise to the top. The singer, Abigail Morris, she's extremely dynamic, great voice. They have a, a, a fabulous lead guitarist in Emily Roberts. Their sound is just very exciting to me. Also, like Saltburn, they have their detractors. So some people think of them as potentially industry plant. Remember who got that last, uh, that last accusation, Jacob, a band you and I have talked about a lot? Uh, wet Leg? 
Yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. Something about women rockers, especially in England, uh, they have to face down these accusations of being inauthentic. But I think The Last Dinner Party is a real band. I think they're super great. I'm excited to see them storm the U.S. I'm really hopeful that this is going to be a big record. Well, maybe one of the things that helped the killers overcome that same set of detractors is uh, what will help them just that unabashed sincerity and just complete over-the-topness with whatever they do. Nate, what about you? Who's going to break through? If we're thinking about, like, breakthrough artists, um, one person that uh, I think still not, like, completed the uh, ascent to cruising altitude is a jazz singer named Samara Joy. I make a date for golf And you can bet your life it rains Try to give a party And the guy upstairs complains Guess I'll go through life Just catching colds and missing trains Everything happens to me um, Now, we were talking about her, you know, about a year ago because she won Best New Artist at the Grammy Awards. Um, but... I, just before uh, Christmas, I saw her holiday show with the McClendons, her family. And let me tell you that there is something that she is expressing now on stage that is, it's just so much um, freer and more powerful um, and more fluid than we've heard on record so far. And what we've heard on record is pretty great. She is so fully inhabiting the the role of a jazz singer and, and very very persuasively. But she came up in a in a, a straight up gospel R and B household and um, seeing her with her family for the second year in a row doing this holiday show, I was able to sort of measure how far she's come in that year. And, you know, she can access a kind of Whitney thing. She can access, you know, like a, a deep gospel thing. Um, and it never sounds like she's shifting gears. It seems like 2024 will continue to be the year of young women across genres uh, exposing the limits of how we have thought about genres, either from within or from without. Because my pick last dinner party also... I mean, they're definitely a rock band, but they have pop pretensions and pop hugeness, you know, and pop style. But I think, you know, we are seeing through them now, through Olivia Rodrigo, that um, the way that women do, especially sort of pop punk or classic two, early 2000s rock and roll, is a little different. And these young women pushing against the strictures of genre, I think, is really interesting. And there's some great older women artists, too. Rodney, I think your pick uh, for this category is someone who's been around for a while. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I definitely think women are going to continue to dominate in hip-hop, too, <laughs> this year. And one that I'm really hoping to come to the forefront is is Rhapsody. I mean, Rhapsody is underground. Uh, I don't know, like you said, and that term, especially in rap, is just so, like, convoluted. Um but not as prominent as as her talent is, you know. Um, commercially, I think it's probably appropriate to say, and or as she deserves to be. 
And um, this album that she's working on, she's been teasing it a little bit. You know, she dropped a single toward the end of last year. And just the way she's talking about it and like little teases online. First name Marlena, last name Evans. Underappreciated, but I'm still the most respected. My insecurity is the fear of being rejected. When you this raw, they listen with an erection. Niggas pull the Drake before they rap about affection. There I go, hard to rap without a message. My biggest flex is I can stand on what I did. Never faked anything to cause of how I lived. I ain't no millionaire. Yeah, already she's saying it's her most personal album to date. Lose some, win some, live another 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. It ain't worth doing the bid. Advice I give. How I'm underpaid with a motherfucker like me is nice like this. You know, she can explore topics in ways that are very personal, but in terms of actually making her life the story uh the subject of of her art i think is is something that might be new for her and the way she's been talking about it i'm it's it's i'm really anticipating this this project and and hoping that um that she'll go from just being you know your favorite rapper's favorite rapper to 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 somebody that that even the industry has to pay attention to um and other than that, man, I, I, I feel like, you know, there's so much new music and new artists and young artists that are continuing to to reshape the genre. You know, all the artists that come out, especially we talked about the hip hop 50 conversations, all the artists that come out and make, you know, the older cats among us um, question whether or not it's hip hop. Like, I think more of that stuff, hopefully, uh, will continue to, to stretch the parameters of the genre. And, you know, I think the jury is still out on whether or not hip hop should embrace uh, having naming subgenres and micro genres. I mean, it already does to a certain extent, but I think in some ways there's always been a, a a debate around whether or not that waters down the genre. I mean, look at rock. Like if, if everything was just still called rock, like how like limiting and almost confusing would that be? So much of that in hip hop is tied to, to to regionality, too. I mean, things are you, you know what something is based on where it's from or vice versa. Um, yeah, it would be really interesting to think about things getting um genres being mixed regardless of 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 geography um what are you hoping each of you is a story that people pay attention to this year what is something that you think would be great if it took up a little bit of people's attention Uh, i'll start on this one because you know we are speaking during the week that Jazz people are celebrating a centennial for Max Roach. And Max was, um, he was a a pioneer, incomparably inventive drummer and band leader, someone who, you know, really um, dictated the terms in many ways of modern jazz. Um, But he was also a, you know, an outspoken advocate and activist and um, a, a protest artist uh, someone who really put his money where his mouth was in terms of um, a, a particular kind of liberation thinking in American culture. You know, he he his career dovetailed with the civil rights movement, and he never let up. He never sort of eased up on the gas pedal. 
So all of all of this I, I bring up because 2024, here we are. It happens to be a presidential election year. There's a lot of other stuff happening on the political spectrum. There's a lot of other stuff happening uh, in culture. My brain hurts thinking about all of the all of the fronts in which we, we need to be vigilant. Um, and when I think about what I want from artists making music in 2024, I think about Max Roach. I think about someone who would have really sort of held our feet to the fire and and made sure that we do not sit comfortably and and watch, you know, while terrible things happen, um, especially things that we might be able to to impact. Um, you know, I, I'm looking for somebody who speaks truth to power and, you know, just refuses to sit quietly. That's what I want. I'd like to hear some great protest music. Well, Nate, you, you know, you can't talk about politics in this country without talking about capitalism. So I'm going to piggyback on that and say that in terms of hip hop, on the heels of the album that No Name released last year, where she really brought a lot of questions uh, around capitalism and, and hip hop's contribution to it to the forefront is, is, is something that just continues to like drive a lot of how I'm thinking about uh, the state of the of the art form and, and the state of the industry. Honestly, you know, um, hip hop has really played a huge role, you know, kind of like a propagandizing role in in terms of of, of capitalism. You know, and sometimes I think is is wittingly and, and sometimes it's unwittingly. I just think that, you know, at this at this age, yeah, sure, it's still youth driven culture, but it's mature enough at this point for us to be having out loud conversations around that that hopefully will somehow filter down to the artists. I don't really get it. Y'all ain't really with it. All they eat the rich, tax the rich. Y'all ain't really about that shit. Bitch, if you want some money, you can say that. You deserve to pay back. These niggas took everything. Let's go get that and take it to the hood, though. Share it with community. We soldiers and plain clothes. Everybody got their role. Don't be a op. Everybody got their role. I'ma play mine like Scooby-Doo in a haunted house. I see the ghosts that they talking about. I see the signs. Read in between the line at the crime scene. I ain't fucking with the NFL or Jay-Z. Propaganda for the military complex. The same gun that shot Lil Terry out west. The same gun that shot Samara in the West Bank. We all think the Super Bowl is the best thing. Originally, I thought I was going to talk about... Um kind of the resurgence of rock and how I hope that rock, uh, which I think is happening, whether it's at the hands of a folk rocker like Noah Kahn or, or a band like Last Dinner Party. And, you know, at, as rock sort of like has a moment again, which I think it might in 2024, I just hope it, it flourishes as a more diverse, under a more diverse definition than it has in the past. But listening to you, Nate, and listening to you, Rodney, I, I think I want to go to a, a slightly more serious place and a slightly more um, urgent place, which is, I just want to talk about musicians and money. You know, while I was uh, researching Last Dinner Party last night, and you know, that's a band that got signed really fast to a major label. They have a great management company. They've got a lot of juice behind them, a lot of financial juice. And um, I was sort of scrolling through uh, my socials, uh, as I was listening to the last dinner party, and I came across a tweet from 
or whatever we call them now, <laughs> I came across a message uh, from an artist from Seattle named Elliot Green, uh, a wonderful singer-songwriter. And this was just a tweet saying, hey, I was laid off from my job last month, and I'm looking for work, but I'm really struggling. Maybe you could buy um, one of my albums on Bandcamp. And it just really made me think about the inequity that, that continues to plague uh, our music culture and how we can have exciting new artists that are well-funded and, you know, we can have massive superstars like, like Rihanna, maybe she'll come back. We can have spectacles like Usher Super Bowl, but there are so many amazing musicians out there with two or three day jobs with um, very few resources who are paying a lot of money just to go on tour, trying to figure out how to have health insurance. So, my hope is that we still think about those artists, that we support those artists, that maybe there's some organizing around supporting them, and just listen to them, y'all, and send them a dollar. 2024 is looking like radical politics, revolution, collective action, renaissance, and eras. Uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about things like that as well. But first... Here are a handful of records that are coming out today, January 12th, and a little bit of music to give you a taste of what they sound like. Two releases I'm really excited about, the wonderful polyglot Kali Uchis, Colombian-American unclassifiable artist, has a new album called Orchideas. And Nyla Hunter, who is a harpist, it creates a fascinating blend of experimental singer-songwriter and R&B music on her album Love Gaze. The singer-songwriter Marika Hackman, who creates very uh, woozy, interesting, vibey sounds on her songs with a little bit of guitar crunch, has a record called Big Sigh. Would you cut me off? So the lines are dead. The metal, electronic, experimental group that to me sounds like the kind of metal that you'd listen to while you're going down a water slide super fast, Bring Me the Horizon. Their new record is Post Human Next Gen. Kia Cuddy, who, I mean, arguably, inarguably, Emo rap godfather is dropping an album, Insano. We'll see how he's sounding after his uh, recent reconciliation with Kanye. Out in the mix, pull up in the white bins. Yeah. Here again for the flex, my man. I'ma get it into the end, my friend. Gotta watch in time, alright, my man. And there are two um, solo jazz recitals dropping today. One is by a baritone saxophonist named Josh Sinton. It's called Couloir and a Book of Practitioners, Volume 2. It's actually a double album of um, baritone sax improvisations. There's also an album by the pianist Elon Meller called Trouble in Mind. This is an album of standards um, that he actually recorded 
Unexpectedly, while he was in a studio in New Orleans waiting for Ellis Marsalis to show up, um, the engineer said, well, we've got this studio, we've got this piano, why don't you sit down and play some? And he created this uh, beautiful little program of standards. A couple of interesting reissues coming out today as well. Uh, the last two Cocteau Twins records, which have never been on vinyl in the United States, those albums are Four Calendar Cafe and Milk and Kisses. Those are the Scottish group's post 4AD, mid 90s major label albums. Those are being reissued this week with new remasters by the band. And since it's still winter and we need some meditative music, I encourage everyone to go out and find Lou Reed's final album, reissued now uh, in a special edition overseen by his uh, wife, Laurie Anderson. It's called Hudson River Meditation, and it consists of really, really gorgeous ambient music that was originally made to help Lou um, as he was entering his final phase of life, um, healing music for our winter days. That's it. This is the new New Music Friday. If you want to hear Robin Hilton talking about more new music, you can listen to the Tuesday All Songs Considered episode. This week they did a preview of albums coming out in 2024. That's great. You can listen to Felix Contreras and Ana Maria Serre on Alt Latino, also in this feed. If you want more music from 2023, you can look at our lists of the best albums of the year, our list of the best songs of the year. You can listen to our podcasts in the All Songs Considered feed. If you want more from the people on this podcast, you can read our newsletter. Uh, subscribe at npr.org newsletter music. If you want to write to us and tell, you, tell us what you think of the podcast and everything else we're publishing, you can write us an email at nprmusic at npr.org. The producer of this podcast is Joaquin Kotler. We had editorial help today from Daoud Tyler Amin. Ann Powers, Nate Chenen, Rodney Carmichael, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. I look forward to lots more of this in 2024. All right. It was a pleasure. Appreciate y'all. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Dignity Memorial. When your celebration of life is prepaid today, your family is protected tomorrow. Planning ahead is truly one of the best gifts you can give your family. For additional information, visit DignityMemorial.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor Acorn TV. Acorn TV is brilliant television told brilliantly. From charmingly cozy mysteries to daringly dark dramas. Visit acorn.tv for a 30-day free trial with promo code NPR. Acorn TV. Brilliant. On this week's Wild Card, we talk with Issa Rae about those moments where our lives could have gone another direction. Definitely wasn't supposed to be with that guy at all. At all. But I still think about it. I'm Rachel Martin. Issa Rae tells us how to make peace with the path not taken. That's on the Wild Card podcast from NPR, the game where cards control the conversation.